What is going on, everyone? It is me, Rob Pearsall, and we are back with a new and improved Mets Legends cast. And I want to introduce you guys to a very special guest, Alex Carigliano Michelli, who went to the same college as me at different times, but we do have some friend overlap. Alex lives a town over from me now, over here in Westchester. Big Mets fan. We've actually seen each other the last three days at City Field. Well, two at City Field and then today. But Alex, how are you doing, man? I want to ask you, just give the audience at home five things about yourself and then finish it off with your favorite pizza topping. Hey, Rob, I just want to thank you for uh, reaching out to me and having me be a part of this podcast again. It really means a lot. Um, to answer your questions, I am doing well. Interesting facts about me. I actually just got married um, almost a month ago, coming up on Tuesday, I think. Don't quote me on the date. Today is Tuesday. I meant to say Thursday. That's the first um, interesting fact. Number two, we actually got eloped in Joshua Tree, just us two, photographers, and the officiant. It was a beautiful, romantic time. I suggest anybody who's trying to do that but can't ball on a budget or wants to ball on a budget, I recommend this option. It was just completely everything that we wanted, and we went on um, just like a beautiful little, a little honeymoon right afterwards. It was just a lovely time. Third fact about me, I have a beautiful, beautiful dog named Samson. It's true. He does. I've met his dog. Very beautiful. He, he is soft and cuddly and, and very sweet. And uh, we can direct you to his Instagram later if uh, if we want to do that. Yes, definitely plug Samson's Instagram. At Samson underscore on underscore Hudson. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll be happy. Uh, fourth fact, big into Star Wars. Originally wanted to do a Star Wars cast, but just too much time. And fifth interesting fact about me, I balded early, but rocked it. He does rock it. He's got a very good beard <laughs> and a good shaped head too. So I don't know what more you could ask for if you're bald. But very handsome man, much more handsome than me. Thankfully, you guys only hear our voices. Uh, I don't feel as embarrassed because I'd be a little shy if you saw our faces. Uh, but favorite well, pizza topping? Did you say that? Uh, favorite pizza topping? Um, it's hard to say. I like I like a good mushroom pizza. Although I think you got to go with the classic margarita. Oh God, we are <laughs> <laughs> good. We were by a tennis court. We are in a park right now and next to a tennis court and one just flew by us as we are recording this but it is actually a really nice night out the ball. alex gonna go get the ball so i'll keep us preoccupied but yeah alex very good friend of mine at this point moved to the town over from me kind of in a serendipitous way i saw on instagram or facebook or one of the others that we lived five ten minutes away from each other and now it's very cool because you know, Alex, I was thinking about it, actually. The only time that we met before you moved to Hastings is at the David Wright final game. That's that was, right. We met. That was the day we met was at that game. It, oh, my gosh. I was like I, – I parked so far away, and I sprinted. I sprinted to the stadium. I heard the applause. It was right after he took his first at-bat. I um, got to witness his last at-bat. I was really hoping that – Rob, you're you're a Legends guy. Who who caught the pop up? That was oh gosh, I remember so much base, about right? that. Yeah, what was his name? Um, I remember like so much Jesus. about that game. No, it it wasn't. I, I keep saying Garrett Cooper. I know it wasn't Garrett Cooper. It was some first baseman, some Joe Schmo type guy. I do remember that Austin Jackson had the walk off hit in the thirteenth inning or something. That's right. The Mets won one nothing. It was so painful. 
because Wright got pulled in the fifth inning of that game. Pulled in the fifth inning. Oh, good thing we had him lined up next to uh, Mets cancer, Jose Reyes. <laughs> Reyes the virus for all of you folks listening at home that remember that era of Mets Twitter. That guy, I recently dropped it in a group chat that Alex and I are in. This guy, Reyes is a virus. He had many different ca- accounts on Twitter. And I guess when I was at Metsmerized, I had written an article or two about Reyes, as I would because I was covering the team. And he targeted me, essentially, saying that I was writing about or promoting Jose Reyes when I really wasn't. But there was one tweet in specific that I still have a screenshot of, and it was, tell the lunatic Ron Purcell, not even my name, first or last name, to stop writing articles promoting Reyes and then one of our other writers at the time just commented shut up to that <laughs> so but oh man it's gonna bother I'll remember who the the Marlins first baseman was that caught that too I remember he, he just got booed every time he played at City Field after that but I think that's how Wright would have wanted like Wright wouldn't have wanted anyone to do him a favor oh, you can't you can't like it's too obvious to drop a pop-up like you could serve up a pitch like they do in the all-star game but mm-hmm. you can't you can't drop a pop-up no no he, he would be more upset I think than the guy catching his actual pop-up yeah so would you say your favorite pizza thing was mushroom before uh, a tennis ball so rudely and then us? I had to go with margarita though for the classic uh, it's 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 my go-to if if they have a clam, mm, they have like a white fried, clam, like a fried white clam, mm. some 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 red pepper flake and lemon. That that's the one. That's a good pizza. I but agree. not everywhere has it. No, no. Frank Pepe's. Mm. If you're in the tri-state area and you guys know Frank Pepe's, they have a really good white clam pizza. But do you think pineapple goes on pizza? Is that what are you what are your thoughts on that that often so, debated topic? So one fun thing about that is, I I I am a supporter. It's not regular pizza. It's you know, it's you have to be really in the mood for that. Um, I think it has to be usually paired with some type of salty meat, like a bacon or a ham. Yes. And I don't eat meat anymore, so it's like really obscure mm. for me. I didn't know that actually. I didn't know that. Are you vegan, vegetarian? I'm, I'm not vegan. I should be because oh boy, cheese. Uh, oh, but but I love it. Mm. I can't help it. Mm. But um, yeah, just meat stopped agreeing with me a while ago. It wasn't by choice, but it, it is. It has led to a healthier lifestyle for me. But I don't hate on anybody who eats meat. Mm. I, I get kind of jealous. Mm. Um, and then with the pineapple and pizza part, the cra- the crazy one for me is when people just have pineapple on it. No, like, I like can't no do meat. that. I can't do that. Yeah, I per I personally when I used to get Domino's, I used to get Domino's a lot when I was in high school. And I realized, you gotta. just to preface, I love New York pizza. This is not a slight on New York pizza. I just, I view Domino's in a different vein. It's kind of like going to Taco Bell where you're not, you're not viewing it as an authentic cuisine. Uh, it is a special kind of experience when you're having, it's just a fast food Domino's. The, but this craving pizza and then this craving Domino's. Yeah. When I want Domino's, I want Domino's. Regular pizza is not going to suffice. But when I would get Domino's a lot, I would do pineapple, ham, and jalapeno and then I would dip it in ranch. So I support it. I know that works. I'm thinking about it. I know it works. 100%. Yeah. And listen, if you guys hate on that, then just click off the podcast right now. But actually don't because we have some hot click takes it, coming up. Click it. Unsubscribe. Get out of here. We don't want to hear from Block you. Block us. I don't want to hear your pizza takes. Yeah. Go go get some pizza and educate yourself. Yeah. So Alex and I had just saw each other the last couple nights at City Field. I have been covering for my buddy Pat Ragazzo at Sports Illustrated slash Fan Nation slash Inside the Mets. I know it's a lot of words there. 
So I've been covering the games from the press box, and it's been really fun getting the whole experience, being able to show up at the stadium a little early, get settled in the press box, go down and be a part of Buck Showalter's pregame pressers, and then kind of just do, you do your own thing. You you They have a, a media lounge where they have a spread of food every day that kind of changes out. Uh, you're seeing a lot of the, the, the TV and radio personalities kind of walking by you, such as Wayne Randazzo and Gary Cohen and Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez. Uh, and when you're in a work environment, it kind of feels natural, but that there is that, that inner part of me that grew up a Mets fan that I think a younger version of myself would be very amazed by. But it's been very fun. It's enabled me to kind of do my own thing and leave the press box when I want, take a walk around the stadium when I have all my work done. I got to say hi to Alex and his wife, Caitlin, who is lovely. Caitlin, if you're listening to this, I think you are amazing. Alex was at the game with our buddy Dom and his brother Mario. Dom does some awesome graphic design work for us here at Mets Legends. Give him a follow at Dom underscore Pesca. Dom, I'm sorry if I botched your last name. I don't know if it's Pesa, Pesha, Pesca, but in my mind, that's how it's pronounced. So, Alex, the Mets are currently in the midst of a six-game winning streak. They've Ooh. won 15 out of their last 17. Ooh. They are seven games up at the time of this recording over Ugh. the Atlanta Braves in the National League East. And we're around the same age. You're a couple years older than me, but we both remember 06. We've suffered through a lot of those bad Mets seasons. We've seen it all. This team at the current moment is pretty much at full strength. You're missing Dom Smith. You're missing Drew Smith, both the Smiths. You're missing Tyler McGill and Tommy Hunter. And that's pretty much it at the moment. Joey Lucchese. But this team is pretty much what you're expect. All the regular guys are in there right now. You have a healthy Jacob deGrom, which we'll get to later. You have Max Scherzer, who's back and better than ever, as advertised. Francisco Lindor is playing like the guy the Mets they thought they were getting in 2021. And everything is clicking. The Mets are firing on all cylinders right now. Pete Alonso is looking great. Jeff McNeil is is channeling his inner 2019. Carlos Carrasco is healthy again. There's really a lot to talk about. There's a lot of individual storylines right now. And I think that's what you want to see, or that's what makes a winning formula for a team, where there's not this, this divisiveness, which I think in the past you kind of noticed with Mets teams. I don't know if you've noticed that. I kind of can feel it a little bit. There's a there's a horrible like subculture of Mets fandom that can't help you but be bred by the way that the organization has operated in the last 35 years or so, mm-hmm. um, which breeds just pessimism and mm-hmm. people wait not not even just waiting on but counting on the floor to fall out from underneath them. Uh, train going by. Train is passing by. We are currently recording in a beautiful park right by the Hudson River. We got a lot of rain yesterday, and so it cooled things down substantially. So you might hear the occasional breeze, occasional train with probably some some hitchhikers on the back, some ducks perhaps. But, Alex, please go on. What were you yeah, saying? Th- that train is actually the Mets. Uh, they're full throttle ahead, uh, full steam. They are not going to derail. Um, and as I said, people are waiting for the floor to kind of fall out from underneath them. But that's, that's not happening this year. No. Uh, not not in any sense, not in any 07, 08 sense that people are expecting, not in any last year sense. Last year last year was never real. I want people to anyone who's still thinking of the stink of 2021, 2021 was not real. I don't mean not real as in it didn't happen. It might not have happened. It, 
who knows? Uh, it's not me. I'm not. I'm not saying it happened or not. Um, but I specifically remember uh, when they traded for um, Javier Baez. Yep. Uh, my brother was in Chicago at the time for Lollapalooza, and he saw a lot of people wearing Javier Baez jerseys who were freaking out. And he calls me and he goes, "Little bro, um, I know you're more plugged into the Mets than I am right now. Uh, I know they just traded for Javier Baez. I'm feeling really good. Are we like World Series bound?" And I, I, I took a long sigh and I said, listen, there's a stretch of games coming up where we're going to play the Dodgers and the Giants straight 13 times. I do not expect to make it out of that series. I've, I've circled it on my calendar since April. Uh, we're not very good. We're not like we're not a very good team. I don't know when DeGrom is coming back and we would find out that he, he wasn't going to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really – I don't understand why they traded for him. I think it was – if I had a guess, I wasn't in the room, obviously, as most people weren't. But my guess is that Steve Cohen's first year, I think that they probably knew or at least were preparing for the idea that Jacob deGrom might not return. And Javi Baez was an easy guy to, to sell to the fan base at that point. Francisco Lindor and him obviously had that pre-existing relationship. Which they were electric together when Lindor came back. And listen, you can't – I think the Mets made the right decision by not bringing Javi Baez back last year. I'm sorry, th- this year. But when he was with the team last year, is what I meant to say, he was good. And he was he was more disciplined at the plate than he had ever been. He And that was, that was kind of my main knock on Baez – when the Mets acquired him was that he was a free swinger and he didn't walk a lot. He didn't get on base more than like a pretty average clip. He would muscle up on some, on on some pitches and knock some balls out of the park. But I don't know. Like, I agree with what you were saying too. Like that 2021 team had a lot of really glaring holes. And as a Mets fan, when you're in it, I think you, you acknowledge that, but you also still have that optimism of, Okay, but you never really know. Like mm-hmm. like and and I think a lot of fans last year, myself included, were of the belief that Mike one of and mo- hopefully more than one of Michael Conforto, Jeff McNeil, uh, and and JD Davis At any moment could light up and they didn't. Like I've never seen a team so like harmoniously suck. <laughs> like all these guys that like all these guys have so much talent and had so much talent that it just didn't make sense to me how they all could at the same time just stop being good player. And McNeil I think was the one that really shocked me the most because he's a very old school type guy where he'll flick the ball into the op- into the opposite field as he did today, mm-hmm. which is Wednesday, August 10th. He flicked the ball the other way. He he is a guy who at the very least, you could count on him muscling up on some pitches sometimes, but also just flicking the ball around the around the, the yard and getting on base. And, and he just didn't do that. And, and these guys all – they had injuries last year, but I absolutely agree with you that last year that team did not have what it takes to be to – be, it did not have what it took to be a contender. And I think that we should have known that when you had Jared Eichloff pitching because they had <laughs> nobody else. And then they and then they DFA him, and then he's pitching again later. And and that that game, I I never felt less confident watching a team 
than I did that night. You just knew that the Mets were, were punting that game before it even started because they had no one else. That doesn't exist this year. That no. does not exist this year. I was thinking about it earlier today, and we could we could table this for like an off-season conversation, but I wonder if they had known that – if they had truly known that like the ground was coming back, do you think they sell? Like, I mean, Conforto probably had no trade value, but maybe they get something. Stroman definitely could have gotten something. Yeah. I think that – I think that you probably won't see the Mets sell ever again. Yes. I don't think that's ever going to happen again. As long as Steve Cohen owns the team and as well – as long as the Mets are owned by someone as wealthy as Steve Cohen who has an eagerness to win even beyond his wallet – I don't think that you'll – I think maybe what you'll see is the Mets retool. So I guess they could sell to a degree, but I don't think they'll ever fire sell like they kind of did around the turn of the decade mm-hmm. when Sandy Alderson came in first time. But it is an interesting thing to think about because if if they knew that they weren't going to compete – and I feel like they, they might have had that idea, but also you have to remember – the Mets didn't really have the front office no, they did not. in place yet because Jared Porter was a sex pest and he was out immediately. Zach Scott was not fit for the role that he was ultimately thrust into. And Sandy Alderson, he's in the twilight of his career now. He's not gonna be a, he's not gonna be an active participant in this front office two, three years down the line. He's going to be retired. He was never meant to be. I I don't think they ever anticipated him having the type of involvement that he's had in this first two years. Yeah. I think that he was brought in because that was going to enable the Mets to be owned by Steve Cohen. That there was this baseball mind who had worked for the A's, had worked for the Mets. That enabled the sale to go through for Steve Cohen. Uh, I don't think a lot of owners wanted Steve Cohen to own the Mets. I think there were some that were pretty vocal about that. And I think Alderson was kind of their ticket into owning the team, into Steve Cohen owning the team. But as I was saying, Alex and I were – and we'll get to DeGrom later because he just made his return. He made his City Field debut on Sunday against the Atlanta Braves to a packed house, one of the loudest games I've ever been to at uh, City Field. It was a, an amazing World Series game. Yeah, that was what our seventy second of the week. It's like <laughs> about our seventy second <laughs> of the week. Yeah. Yeah, they've just. I don't know. I I don't have any more excitement left in me. They've just won too many World Series in the last month. So, but what I wanted to talk about a little bit because it's a pretty prevalent and at at the moment evergreen topic because these guys keep contributing, is the additions, and this is kind of a trade deadline wrap up as well because we're we things have kind of come into focus a bit more that we're a week or so removed from the trade deadline and things are kind of coming in. We understand how these players that the Mets acquired are going to fit into the long-term or the long-term in regards to this season kind of role for the Mets. So Rob, are you talking about the legend of Daniel Johan Sebastian Vogelbach? The third. Mm. I, I am. And Daniel Vogelbach today was uh, women's day at city field. They had a panel of Mets wives and staff members do a panel pregame. They had a wonderful video tribute. All the players walked up when they came up to the plate to songs by women artists. Dan Vogelback came up to Milkshakes by Kalis. Yeah, I've never actually said that out loud, but yeah, Kalis. And he said he did it for his teammates to get a laugh out of them. And I think that's just the perfect 
that kind of sums up in a nutshell the kind of guy that Vogelback is. He doesn't ever seem like he takes himself too seriously. He goes up there. He does his job. He busts it down the line. And he's a quick guy on his feet for a big guy. I mean, MLB.com has him listed at, excuse me, 5'11", 270 pounds. And he can bu- he's kind of like a Carlos Lee type guy in that Carlos respect. Carlos Lee. God bless you, Rob. I mean, and, and Carlos Lee obviously cool. is not fondly remembered in Mets history because David Wright went to tag him at third base. That kind of, they speculate, lead it to the spinal stenosis down the line. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to, we're talking about the additions of Daniel Vogelback, Darren Tyler Ruff. Naquin, oh, and God. Darren Ruff. And, and, and Michael Gibbons. And Michael Gibbons, too. And, and I guess you could kind of, in a way, throw in Trevor May into this conversation because he's... And I know like, I kind of don't like to, to, to view these things, these injuries, players coming back from injury as midseason acquisitions. But when you factor that Trevor May, who was supposed to originally be a contributing member to this bullpen at the beginning of the year, and he's missed the whole season and he comes back around the deadline, you are getting another acquisition essentially because you've been operating without him. So, But yes, the external acquisitions of relief pitcher Michael Gibbons but the, mainly the three offensive guys in Ruff, Naquin, and Vogelback. I want to first start off with what were your thoughts on these acquisitions off the bat? When so, you first found out about these moves and digesting them in real time, what were your thoughts on these guys? So my, my initial reaction, because they got Vogelback first, so my, yeah. my initial reaction was, who? And I had to look him up real quick. Um, I saw his splits against left-handed and right-handed pitchers. Saw that okay, this guy is going to be up um, against right-handed batters. I mean, right, jeez, right-handed pitchers. Figured immediately like, okay, Dom is done, and I, I got kind of psyched. I did. I got, I got, because I want to be positive, and I really trust um, the train. That's the train by. is here. It's the it's the met, it's the metaphor of the Mets again. Yes, that that'll that'll, that'll be a running theme of tonight's podcast. <laughs> Uh, but I actually got a little excited um, after reading his stats. Um, I figured as soon as I saw that, it kind of hinted me that, okay, we're not going to go for like a big bat. We're not going to go for – I still thought Contreras was in the uh, in the runnings And even up to trade deadline day, sorry to cut you off, but even, even going into trade deadline day, I think there was still that optimism that – Maybe the 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 Cubs are gonna buckle and they're gonna they're gonna call off that bluff and they're gonna trade Contreras to the Mets. It seemed that after the after the Padres acquired Juan Soto and Josh Bell that they were out of the running for Contreras, and then when the, the Astros got Christian Vasquez, it seemed like Contreras and the Mets was was destined. It seemed oh, that yeah. for the for the second time in 365 days, the Mets were gonna get a Cubs player that was going to make a difference but please go on yeah crazy um but then when they got darren ruff mm-hmm. um i i i got excited um darren ruff isn't a big name i don't expect a lot of people to have known who darren ruff, ruff was before they traded for him um i had read a really interesting article on on darren ruff in the athletic uh like earlier in the beginning of the season he's a really remarkable story I initially came up, I think, with the Phillies organization. I want to say the Phillies. I want yeah. to say the Phillies. Kind of lost himself in the bigs. Um, had a detour in Korea, I believe it is. I'm oh, like, he played I'm, overseas? He played overseas. I he, didn't know that. He was completely out of the league. Uh, came back in 2020 with the Giants. They kind of like signed him on a, on a whim. Oh, you know what? I do vaguely remember this now. 
because because it's like he had he he's had this second wind of a career. Kind yes, of. and he came up kind of late anyway, right? Like he came up in what his like mid to late twenties. Mid to yeah, definitely. Like, oh, he's like thirty five now too. He doesn't have like much of a track record. It's yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I saw that okay, and this guy bats right handed, so he's gonna be our left handed guy. He's mm-hmm. gonna replace J D. Davis. He's not. A J.D. Davis clone, there's a lot of people out there who think he's essentially just J.D. Davis, but a little bit better. But he's definitely way more of a well-rounded hitter. Uh, positionally, yeah, J.D. Davis. He doesn't have a true position, just like Vogelback, although we saw him at first the other day. Um, yeah. and, and usually, uh, in 2020 and 2021, he did hit both righties and lefties, uh, though he did hit uh, lefties better. But this year, it does teeter more at um towards this the splits are way more drastic this year mm-hmm. um so you're, you're really only going to see him against left-handed guys although they could probably keep him in later in the game if they want to he has the he has enough power where i feel like you could at least maybe expect that he could get a hold of one at yeah. the very least even if it's against the same arm slot that he hits out of he has he has the power he hits uh he hits a lot of like line drives uh big doubles guy um and i think um I think he's like he was kind of having a down season with the Giants, um, but I did kind of like do like a deep dive of it just like this morning and saw that he's he's kind of his launch angle is up five degrees from last year from nine degrees up to fourteen degrees, and so he's really kind of getting under the ball a lot, and thus a lot of his um his home run to fly ball ratio is also way off. So a lot of those fly balls that he's hitting are just um getting caught. And so if they could just correct that just like a little bit, and I'm sure that's like part of his splits as well, he probably gets on base a lot more. We saw him hit a double. We saw him hit a two-run single yesterday against the um, Mike Miner, and he hit a double later in the game against uh, against their right-handed pitcher as well, although that guy is a, like a 60 ERA. Kunal. Kunal, something Joel like that. Kunal, yeah. yeah. Some, some, he's a guy. He kind of looks like – you ever watch Eastbound and Down? Yes, he kind of looks like a Danny McBride, like <laughs> like like clone. Like he would play Danny McBride in a movie about Danny McBride. Uh, he would be like the that kind of guy. I need more Danny McBride in my life. Yeah, who doesn't, man? That mustache is, is so amazing. funny. That mullet. But um, Dan- Darren Ruff is good. Uh, and it's weird because it's one R in Darren and one F in Ruff. Yeah, he spells Darren in a way that I've never seen Darren play. D A R I N. Yeah. Usually it's two R's and an E. Completely insane. And Naquin is just – I mean, I instantly remembered him from the Reds. Um, I looked back at his stats, and he's hes definitely – I definitely remember him being better. I, he must have had a few big games against the Mets last year, um, unless I just remember hearing his name. I think he hit a home run against the Mets last he year. He had to have. He had to have. And he's, he's just – he just seems so immensely chill. I like his walk-on song. I like seeing him out there. I, I, I'm fangirling over him. I don't know if you heard me, just my voice cracked. Uh, but he's he he's just good, and I, I just love what he does. Just the, those three additions, the way they lengthen the lineup, um, kind of creates more positional fits. It allows Guillaume to go to third, and you see Escobar a little bit less. We're like good guy Escobar, but he needs he needs to sit a little bit more. Which I agree, and and I I don't think that was the plan originally with Escobar. He's coming off a year where. He hit, I want to say, either 30 home runs or close to it last year between the Diamondbacks and the Brewers. And he just hasn't really got it to stay. And he's had his moments. He's had his moments. He hit for the cycle earlier this year, first met in 10 years. He had that series against, I want to say, Arizona where he hit 
three home runs or four home runs in three games or something. He had like a like I think it was yeah I think maybe it was three home runs in three games. Yes, yes, back yeah. That was like right after the All Star break. No, was that after the All Star break or before? It might have been right before. Yeah, I can't remember. But yeah, so so I think that and just to go off Naquin too. I so as I was telling you guys, I've been in the clubhouse every day since Sunday, and. Naquin was a guy that, in my mind, because the Mets started this series with the Cincinnati Reds on Monday night. And Monday was a very chill day compared to Sunday in the press box. Sunday, you had the return of DeGrom. Everybody was there. The stadium was packed. Everyone wanted to be a part of the action. Monday night was that, like, you know when, the, like, a team clinches the division and there's, like, that day after where everything's a lot more chill? Yes. Like, it kind of felt like that almost. Like the, the city field had this, like, almost sleepy kind of vibe to it. But in my mind, like, there were two big stories that day. And one was Justin Dunn coming back, making his Reds debut against the team that drafted him. He'd never faced the Mets before. But David Lennon, really nice guy, columnist for Newsday, I want to say. Mm-hmm, I think. Uh, he got the, the Dunn story, which makes sense. I, I, I don't feel like I have the clout to be in the visiting clubhouse kind of getting stories. Uh, as this train passes by, yet another metaphor for the New York Mets just chugging along. Do you remember that episode of Hey Arnold with Four-Eyed oh, Jack? Oh my gosh, do I remember? It was four, no, it wasn't Four-Eyed Jack. That was the other episode. There was the one with like the the, it was like the train. hell train, right? Yeah, and then it ended up just being like Grandpa tricking them into go to bed. Or going something. to bed, yeah. Like every raspberries. <laughs> Gotta go. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Naquin. Yeah, so I, I – <laughs> I, and then the other story, apart from Dunn, was Tyler Naquin facing the team that traded him. And it, it's not like he was with the Reds for an exorbitant amount of time. He was with them for a year and a half. But I, it's still a, a story. So he's in the locker room, and basically how it works is before the manager meeting, the media is in the clubhouse. And, and guys are at their lockers, and you can essentially – go up to them if you please and you know if you need anything for your stories and the basic rule of thumb is that you don't approach the starting pitcher that's pitching that night and you don't really see a lot of other guys in the locker room acknowledging them Tyler Naquin's not a starting pitcher so not not an issue but I was really nervous and I was just like I'm gonna bite the bullet this is a story that I want I've had it in my mind since last night I'm gonna do it went up to Naquin extremely nice guy Got to write my story. Boom, bam, done. Very nice, very chill. Acknowledged me. Just very nice. But kind of just going off what you were saying, because you were talking about the, and I don't want to get too far off track here, but now we're a week out of the trade deadline, and, and, and Naquin and Vogelback were acquired a little bit before that, so they've been on the team for a little bit longer. But you kind of see everything has come into focus a bit, that this team – Wilson Contreras, no doubt, makes the Mets a better team. He's a good catcher. Mm-hmm. He's a good hitter. But what the Mets did instead was they tied together some loose ends. They were able to, with these acquisitions, improve their bench and the flexibility off their bench, but also give you a guy every single night who can go up there and can give you a good matchup. So, you know, you have Tyler Naquin and you have Mark Canna that are able to kind of platoon in the outfield. You have Vogelback and Ruff who can platoon at DH. You can shift Escobar and Guillaume. You can do all that. You can allow Alonzo to DH more. 
So this team is better now than it was eight days ago. Very 2021 Braves, very 2018 Red Sox. Yes. And I know a lot of people want to compare this team to the 2015 Mets because that was what we have. That was the last thing that we can have a sort of – let me repeat the sentence. That was the last point of reference that we have for a good Mets team. Mm -hmm. They were good in 2016. They were out after one game in the playoffs. 2019, they narrowly missed the playoffs, but that team had some holes too. This year is the best that we've seen the Mets since 2015. And truthfully, they're a better team than the Mets were in 2015. Way better. That Mets team got hot at the right time. And they had a couple guys that carried them. Cespedes throughout the end of the season. Yeah, you had your supplemental pieces in Uribe and Johnson. You had Conforto come up as a rookie. That was good. Murphy carried them in the postseason. This team is has so much depth to it and has so many different offensive contributors. They have a maybe not the I it's so hard to compare the rotations because that rotation was really great in 15, but I think that this rotation is just as good in 2021 or 2022 if not better. I mean, think about how unexperienced that 2015 rotation was. All of them. DeGrom was in his second year. Yep. Harvey was in his uh, second year because he missed all of 14 with Tommy John. So he's essentially a rookie. Uh, Syndergaard was a rookie. Matz was a Matz rookie. Matz was a rookie. Cologne was on was on that team, but he was he got shifted to the bullpen later that season, in the postseason. Yeah. This Mets team is 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 all veterans. Mm-hmm. This this Mets rotation is Scherzer, which in 2015, like imagine telling a Mets fan in 2015 that several years from now Scherzer is going to be anchoring this rotation. No Mets fan would believe you. Scherzer was my favorite non-Met. Like in history, just like in terms of like a baseball player that I admire who doesn't wear a Mets uniform, I I was killing people who thought that they had a chance at signing him this off season. There's no way we were gonna get Scherzer. Well, it didn't seem like he wanted to come to New York. That was like what you were that that was what was presented to the average fan. Yes. was that Scherzer doesn't want to play in New York, and Steve Cohen says pack your pack your bags, kiddo. You're <laughs> coming to play in New York whether you like it or not. And and that was and I think that with what was important about that signing, and we won't stay on this for too long because we have other things other things to talk about. But that was in my mind Steve Cohen saying, if we want someone, we're gonna get them. It didn't matter Scherz's age, it didn't matter the amount of money that he wanted. It was we're serious in our pursuit for greatness. We're serious that we want to win. And you know what? It just goes to show how much putting a little bit of extra money and care into a team gives them that extra boost because you have Lindor now, you have Max Scherzer now, you've got Chris Bassett this offseason, you you got uh, – I guess that's it. Well, yeah, but and then with all those guys – Marte, sorry. Marte, Marte, and, yes. oh, Marte, for sure. We can't forget about that. Yeah, no, never. How could you? Um, he's beautiful, he's but, <laughs> but with, with all those guys, it also takes the pressure off of the young guys, you know, the guys, the year three, year four guys who were expected to be the leaders last year, mm-hmm. your, your, um, your Alonzo's who's just a big goofball. I could see him being a leader in the future, but he's not there yet. He's not your clubhouse leader. No, he's 26, 27. No. He's still got a lot of, got a lot of growing to do. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff McNeil. Like he, I don't, I don't see him as even wanting to have a leader role. Yeah. He's Nim- a very emotional dude. Nemo. Like it, it was like the, the right moves were, and, and that's what we were talking about with 2021, right? You basically shifted out Kevin Pillar 
Jonathan VR and who who else was even on the twenty one? I guess Strowman. Strowman and then yeah, like those are like your your main guy. But then you you brought in Scherzer to replace Strowman. You brought in Bassett to complement that rotation, which you didn't have last year. You brought in Escobar and Canna. These guys are replacing VR and they're replacing Pilar. So they really tied together some loose ends this offseason, and then they tied together even more loose ends this trade deadline. Yeah. So I think we're both in agreement that this team is better than it was before 6 p.m. on August 2nd this year. 100%. Um, I, I really like the more – I mean – Obviously, the Mets are hot right now. It could look different if we suddenly went like cold for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have fans screaming on Twitter how we should have gotten Contreras mm-hmm. and we should have we should have gotten the ghost of JD Martinez. Yeah. And that would have been in the moment. I think Mets fans would have been like, "Hey, we got JD Martinez," but JD Martinez has back issues and he's older now. He's not the guy that he was when he signed the deal with the Red Sox several years ago. He's in the twilight of his career now, J.D. He's like a Josh Donaldson type guy, like former star who, you know, the Yankees brought over, in Donaldson's case, the Yankees brought over to see if there's anything left. So like, that's what it would have been like for the Mets with Martinez. Like, and, and listen, Ruff's not a spring chicken either. He's 36. But you kind of see the plan in action of what Billy Epler had in mind when he brought those guys in. That big, that bullet train Billy to you. <laughs> <laughs> 200 miles per hour, baby. Um, but yeah, I don't remember what exactly where we where we were leading with this. Uh, acquisitions, leaders in the clubhouse. It's just a it's just a way more well rounded team. Yeah, they're, they're, best they're team gonna, that we've seen. They're gonna keep going. Yes. They're gonna keep going. Oh yeah, what I want to say was it's recency bias. I I think that in both the Naquin trade and the Rub trade, the Mets maybe gave up a little bit more than they should have. But at the end of the day, prospects are prospects. I think that there needs to be a comfortable balance between prospect hugging and bolstering your major league team. I think I'm a little bit hurt because one of the guys the Mets gave up was a prospect that I really liked in the rough trade, and that's Nick Swack. He was looking really good. He was on his way to becoming the minor league pitcher of the year in the Mets organization, having a great year at high A Brooklyn. But prospects are just that they're prospects and we've seen it with jared kelnick and and i'm not writing kelnick off i like him i want him to succeed but you look at kelnick and he hasn't gotten it together yet and he was a a way higher touted prospect than your nick zwax and your acuna's that the mets not ronald acuna jose acuna the pitcher prospects are lottery tickets they don't always pan out even the really high profile ones so if the mets win the world series this year you don't care who they gave up you don't care who you get they gave up but with that being said, we mentioned DeGrom a little bit earlier. DeGrom pitched his second game as, uh, since returning from the injured list in a year. And his most recent one was at City Field, and that was on Sunday. Alex, is Jacob DeGrom back? What do you expect from him? How are you feeling with him having made his return? Is there that sense of cautiousness with DeGrom where you're kind of worried about is this going to be a long-term thing? Does he? Does he? Do you feel that this is just like he's back now? You know, everything is back to normal. What is your gauge on the situation with Degrom, and how do you feel about Degrom being back? Oh man, there is some loud music behind us. 
And oh. so, yeah, so you guys got some some extra background music right now. No, this is good. This is this is the DeGrom theme. Uh, we're going to play this every single time we talk about DeGrom. Uh, <laughs> Alex did improv in college, so he's, he's quick and he's, he's funny. So. DeGrom is back. Uh, long story short, DeGrom is back. I'm the eternal Mets optimist. Um, I'm... Even though he's been hurt the last year, I don't consider him injury-plagued. He had an injury-plagued year, but I don't consider him an injury-plagued player. I think we could feel confident about him in the future. They say that the scapula um, injury is something that can resurface, but um, I think they've learned how to manage it, and they know what to do going forward. Um, If you had told me that with DeGrom, what they did was they saw that last year's team – was a fraud and that they knew that next year if they looked at him and said listen uh jake jake baby jake next year we're gonna have more money we're gonna feel more comfortable going out to free agents we're getting Marte. we're gonna go after uh, some veteran pitchers we're looking at a guy bassett i'm not sure yet um we're getting marcana we're getting escobar we're oh, gonna be and a deep. Little, and the little guy named Max Scherzer, who's gonna be <laughs> how your, could I your, forget? You're one A, one B in this rotation. The the other guy, the only other pitcher with you who has a WAR over 24 since 2018. Yes, the Max Scherzer. So what what about this baby? We're just gonna put you on ice. Just chill. If the if the uh, media asks you any questions about your injury, just shrug it off. Blame it on us. Uh, Sandy's gonna say some stupid things about your elbow. You know what? You could be mad. It's okay. It makes you makes you more mm, humble. So we're gonna put you on ice, and we're gonna bring you back right at the deadline next year. So it could be that other deadline edition, and we're gonna go full throttle. What do you think? And I'm sure he shrugged, told them that as long as I get to opt out, and you give me forty seven million dollars uh, with opt outs, then yeah, I'm about it. He's he's amazing. My brother. I mean, y'all y'all are watching the game. I'm sure. The Gary, Keith, and Ron were gushing over his performance. It's like they became fans. Uh, my brother was texting me. He lives in Ohio, and he's just—he's just—he's freaking out. It's an event. Like Strowman was tweeting about it. He's someone that, when he's on, you have to watch. Hey guys, we are back. We are so sorry. Alex and I have this really nice waterfront park by where we live, and I was like. It's Wednesday night. Let's go there. We can record. It'll be nice. You'll get the nice sounds of people playing tennis and the wind. And then the music was pretty hype. I'm not going to lie about that. No, it was it was good. It, it was good. But it wasn't what we needed for the time being. But we're back, and we were talking about DeGrom. We were talking about you, had, you were, like, talking about how if the Mets knew they were not in contention in 2021, having him essentially – Put him on ice, put him on ice, and bring him back for 2022, baby, because we're going all the way. And now you have Scherzer, you have DeGrom back. What I want to talk about with DeGrom a little bit, since I feel like it's somewhat topical, is is he's opting out, we know that, but is he going to be back in 2023? What do you think? Is he gone, or is he going to be back? Rob, that is literally, like, I'll talk about any topic on here. That is the one topic that I almost refuse to think about because we, we've talked about this off air, which I guess makes sense that we should just have the conversation here. Um, but it, it scares me because DeGrom, I think, is one of those players that, you know, you, when you talk to, like, 
when you talk to your parents and or like your grandparents and when you hear these you know people who've been in baseball and they talk and the way they talk about like Fernando Valenzuela or the way they talk about uh, Sandy Koufax or some of these like legends in the even game. Even Tom Seaver, we're going to connect it back to the Mets. Peak Doc Gooden. The way yeah. these people talk about Peak Doc Gooden. Yeah. I feel like that's how I'm going to be talking about about Degrom. I just have so much reverence for him, and and the thought of him leaving is, is really hard for me to grasp. I think it could be, I, I think it'd be hard to keep him if you're talking about. I think they'd have to go more years than short term because it'd be really hard to have forty five million dollars on Scherzer. You know, forty five or more on Degrom. You got your and then 30, Lindor's contract. You, then you got Lindor's contract. Um, other guys should be looking at extensions soon too, and it it could get crowded. Well, yeah, because other than Degrom this off season, you have Edwin Diaz as a free agent, mm-hmm. Brandon Nemo is a free agent, and a lot of the guys in your bullpen are free agents. You have. Trevor May is going to be a free agent. Adam Adovino, Seth Lugo, who, in my opinion, I think Lugo's gone. I think that he's going to take, be taking the first flight to Houston or Tampa Bay, and he's going to and he look he's looked good his last few outings, yes. like which is a huge boost for the Mets with the playoff chase. But I I would be very shocked if Seth Lugo is back in this bullpen next year. I don't think he's going to be. With Degrom, I don't blame him for opting out. You got to get your money, and also. The Mets just brought in Scherzer. Yeah. Who, both excellent players, but Scherzer's making a lot more money than DeGrom is. Not only that, but he saw Garrett Kermit Cole get 10 years, 300, $320 million. Oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> he's such a fraud, Cole. Listen, if any Yankee fan listens to this, come after me. Whatever. He's a fraud. He is. And I understand he's been healthier than DeGrom has the last year. But when these guys are healthy, and I know that's a big if, but when these guys are healthy, there's no contest that Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in New York. There, I have there's no hard, contest. I have a hard time calling him a fraud. I watched him pitch against the Nationals in the World Series in the playoff. Well, okay. He kind of collapsed by the time he got to the World Series. That was the most he had oh, ever Cole? pitched. Cole. But in, he was he in, was electric with Houston. In the, with Houston. Yeah. He was electric though in the NLCS. I mean I mean ALCS. The whole playoffs, he was crazy to watch. You know, that, that year was him and Verlander neck and neck. That that was a fun duo. That was um, – but getting away from the point. But I, I don't think he's what New York thought he was for sure. Well, it's also – and I think Cole is a good pitcher. He's very talented. He's a guy who is – you'd rather have him than not, I think. But he's not an anchor to a rotation in the biggest market in the world, in the most popular – on the most popular team in the world. I just don't think that he's the guy that – what's his ERA right now? And I know ERA is not the be-all, end-all, but his ERA, I think, is pushing four this year. Yeah. He's – um. There, there are certain tiers for pitchers, right? Like, he's an ace. Like, there's different tiers for aces as well. Like, mm-hmm. there's your god tiers, which is your DeGrom, Scherzer's, Verlander's. Uh, Joe Musgrove, I think you could put in there at this he's, point. I don't think he's there. No, he's not there yet. I would put he – he'd probably be in the same category as Musgrove because I think he's still – yet to reach his best. I, I put Musgrove in the same category that Wheeler's in. Like A tier. Yeah, like A tier. Like th- like there's God tier, which is the top, and that one's really small. That's like those three that I named. And then like Kershaw and, and Pete his prime. Kershaw and, yeah. his, and his prime. Yeah. The next tier is like where you would see like where uh CC was in his prime. Yeah. Uh where Cole is I think right now. I think I think Musgrove is about there. Mm-hmm. I think Wheeler's 
probably yeah, there. I agree. Either there or, like, or just right under. Like Aaron Nola. Like Aaron Nola as well. And then I'm trying like like Walker Bu- Walker Bueller. I guess like he's kind of like in between like A and S here when he's healthy. Yes. But yes. yeah, like Cole is not like. And I know, like, I understand the debate. Like, you know, these are your two guys that you have the point of references for in New York, Cole and DeGrom. But having seen DeGrom in his prime, and, I like, DeGrom still could be very well be in his prime. I mean, you know, Scherzer is maybe, like, I don't know if you – like, he still pitches like he's in his prime, even though he's 38. He, like, he, he, he doesn't qualify for the ERA title yet. No. Because he's – I think he's, like, 20 innings short or something because of those he'll missed get, starts. He'll get there, He's going to get there about, like, his next three starts. And he's under two now. I he's think under, he's, like, he's 195. 195. It's insane. It's insane. But back to, <laughs> back to DeGrom for a second just because we got off track. Yankee fans come after me. DeGrom's better than Cole. He is. He is. But DeGrom's going to opt out. I think the only way and, – and, and he's going to opt out regardless. The only way I think that he comes back to the Mets is if they win the World Series or they really, really make a push for him. A push of like, we're going to give you a blank check, opt outs after whenever you want. You're going to be a Met, but we want you to be a Met for the rest of your career. I am gearing up for the possibility that DeGrom is gone. And I, and I and I think that he I think Degrom is gone, but there's still this year, and and the Mets have a prime opportunity this year because w- once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen, right? It doesn't matter if the Dodgers are more talented than the Mets are, or the Astros are more talented than the Mets are in the American League if they were to get to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Once you're there and you're playing in a series, anything can happen, and so and pitching wins, pitching wins. And you have I, – I don't know what team would want to face a healthy DeGrom and a healthy Scherzer back-to-back in a series. And then you still have to deal with Chris Bassett. And then you deal with the Cookie Carrasco. And then you deal with the Mets bullpen of Edwin Diaz, who's having one of the best years for any Mets pitcher ever, regardless of starter or reliever, one of the best Mets seasons of all time from a pitcher. I don't know who what team would want to face that in a playoff series. So Tim Britton described great uh, guy, by the way, Tim Britton, very cool guy. Very jealous. I love his writing. Uh, Tim Britton described a Grom as (laughs) uh, Edwin Diaz stretched out for starters innings. Yep. It's how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that? He comes out of the game, you let out a sigh of relief and then boom, 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 boom. (laughs) (laughs) But you hear that coming like, what do you, like, what do you do? You don't do anything. Yeah, it's a, you 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 accept defeat. You accept defeat. You lay down. And I was talking about this with my buddy Jack Hendon of the Pleasant Good Evening podcast, former Metsmerized coworker of mine. Go listen to their podcast. Jack and Sam are great guys. Jack, I think, was the one who had said that he cannot pin like pin down a Mets player who's had a redemption story like Edwin Diaz. And I thought about it. I don't think there is one. There is none, because anyone who's ever tanked as badly as he did when he first came in never rebounded. Never, never. You look at Jason Bay; he never rebounded. You you look at I'm trying to think of like Mets players that were like really strongly disliked, like by the like Armando Benitez never rebounded to have a to, to, and Benitez was better than I think people give him credit for. I know that'll get me a lot of hate. I know he didn't play well in the playoffs. He's kind of – I think he's kind of remembered in the same vein as, like, Familia. I was going to say Familia, yeah. But 
like neither Benitez nor Familia had a season like Edwin Diaz is having right now. Those guys were really good, but they didn't have ice in their veins. They didn't. They didn't. <laughs> if that's a quantifiable thing. Uh, so yeah, I I don't think there's ever been a Met that's had a redemption tour like Edwin Diaz has. The he closest was, it comes is probably Beltron and Lindor currently. Yeah, and and. And it's funny with Lindor too. Like he obviously got a big boost from Fangraphs with wins above replacement because he is such a defender. But he still put up over four wins above replacement last year, <laughs> which blows my mind every single time I yeah. think about and it. And you look at his baseball savant page. There's a lot of similarities between this year and last year. I just think that he's a more cohesive player this year. Like he's batting t- over two seventy now. And I'm not a big batting average guy, but. Just, just like as like the most basic comparison, he was someone who he hurt his finger when he slammed it in the door back in June. He's a guy who was batting in the low to mid two hundreds, and now he's up over two seventy, and so, and he's doing everything right. He's playing good defense. He has over twenty home runs. He's, he's, he's this year has had a ten plus game RBI streak. A 10-plus game run streak. As of Wednesday, he just tied the club record for both RBIs by a shortstop and the most consecutive games with runs scored in the same game. Nice grouping of stats, but he um, and Aaron Judge are the only players with 20-plus home runs, 70-plus RBIs, and 70-plus runs scored. Yep. That's, I mean, like, that. once again, very niche grouping of stats. But it's super impressive. I think he has. He's probably on track to finish like six or above with uh, wins above replacement, and I think that's a that's a stat that you pay thirty four million dollars a year for. Like he he doesn't seem to be playing out of his mind. This feels like it's a sustainable thing that he could replicate. Yeah, he's not. I mean, Lindor does the simple things, and he and and that's what you want, right? Like he plays. He's a great defender. He plays really good defense. The Mets are stronger up the middle now than I can ever remember them being at any point following this team for 20-plus years. And you have Guillaume that plays second. You have McNeil that plays second. So you have the strong defense up the middle. And I think Lindor brings out the best in those guys. But he also he hits for average. He hits extra base hits. He hits for power. He does all this, the, the simple things right that makes a cohesive player cohesive. Even when he was struggling, like even last year or two, it would be like I, all I'd hear on Mets Talk Radio is how bad he's been, how bad he's been, how bad he's been. And then that day, that night, when I'm you know getting push notifications on my phone from Met games, the, the, <laughs> the alert that I get the most is, you know, Lindor, base hit, RBI base hit RBI like no matter what he's scoring runs Mm -hmm. he's bringing them in yeah and he's a guy who is any player worth what they're paid that's debatable any player right like but a it's not my money but b like is a guy ever worth 36 million dollars a year 40 million dollars a year if a team wins the world series maybe sure yeah regardless you know you know it's it's a hit it's a crazy contract. I'm sure he had all the leverage that season. If he had just held out, uh, I mean, not if he held out, but if they just waited to negotiate like till after the season, maybe they get it. Or during the season when he was struggling, they probably get a better contract. But also, who cares? Who cares? He's if, a guy you'd rather have than not. If you're a fan 
if you're a fan who's in the stands and you're still talking about his contract, just get over yourself. Yeah. Because the guy is a great player and he adds so much to this team. He's our number three hitter and he's been a very good number three hitter and he's accountable and he gets in front of the mic every day, even when he has bad days. He's always answering questions. That's what you want. Also, just like in in motion this year, seeing Pete Alonso and Lindor batting right after each other is a thing of beauty. It really is. And just like, I mean, really, you can include Nimmo and you can include Marte in that conversation. But just it just feels like those guys are always hugging each other because one of them scored. Like, yes. it's just like, like there's always like, there. it's just like, that's what this Mets team is so, is, is why this Mets team is so beautiful is because 06, that was, and I'm sure maybe you feel this way too, Alex, because we're around the same age. That was, in my mind, those guys were like these incredible, amazing group of guys. But that 06 team had its flaws too. That rotation was not good, oh especially gosh. when Pedro Martinez got hurt, when Orlando Hernandez got hurt. You went into a playoff, and you almost went to the World Series because that match, that offense was amazing. But you went into a postseason with Tom Glavin as your number one, and, and Tom Glavin that hated playing for the Mets, who – was not in his prime anymore. No, wait, and he wait was fine. It. He was fine as a Met. Like he wasn't amazing, but he was okay. He's but still he's, leadership. But he was he was your ace in that postseason. Yeah, Steve Traxel. I always forget about Steve Traxel. The human rain delay, man. <laughs> You're gonna have to think of some. You better start thinking about some legends because we're almost at that point. Of the uh, show. Absolutely. You had Ali Perez, who they got, who they probably wouldn't even have been on the team anyway if Dwaner Sanchez never gets in that cab in Miami uh-huh. and gets hurt. And you're forgetting John Main. I Don't forget John about John Main. I loved. I'm a John Main truther. I loved John Main. I had a John Main shirt. I that game where he almost no hit the Marlins. Do you remember that? I was freaking out. Seven Paul two Hoover. thirds innings. Paul Hoover broke that game. Broke like with this like little squib up the third base line. It was like the most BS hit. I, I, I <laughs> there's definitely like at least one time a year when I bring up that game, which then has to be brought up Tom Glavin's stinker the next day. Oh, uh, I don't even want to. Talk, I don't even know why I brought it up. I'm sorry. Bad taste. Bad was taste. That, bad taste. Was that a wait? That was oh seven. Oh seven. Because oh wait, John May came in with the dead arm. Yeah. Oh seven. That's right. I was actually at the Glavin game. Uh, I remember. Sorry. I was at the Glavin game. I was sitting in right field. Like, do you remember how – you obviously remember how Shea was set up. Like, right field, there was, like, those seats that were, like, kind of close to the foul pole. Uh-huh. Because Shea was shaped like a horseshoe. It was, like, over there. And I remember just, like, that game was over before. And and funny enough, people don't remember because it was the last game of the season. Carlos Delgado broke his hand in that game. Oh, my gosh. I forgot about that. He got hit on the hand with the pitch and broke his hand. So, can you imagine if the Mets won that game? They don't have Delgado for that postseason. It was like watching a public execution. It was terrible. And then Glavin, after the game, I was thinking about this when I was driving to City Field for whatever reason this week. <laughs> but he goes, I'm disappointed, but I'm not devastated. <laughs> and it's just you like, Of course, you're not devastated. I'm mad. It's like, dude, it's like, it's like you were brave to begin with, but now you're like even more of like, all right, you clearly are a brave at heart. You crow. Oh, my God. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, guys, this is the new tandem. Rob Pearsall, Alex Carigliano, Michelli, Samson, Alex's dog, will be a guest star. Oh, yeah. So will Caitlin. And we're really looking forward to bringing you some new and refreshing content. Uh, Alex and I see each other quite often at Mets games, at local haunts, and we live super close to each other. So 
we're really excited to record in, in person together and we're looking forward to having some really cool guests on coming up. So this will be a once a week podcast, probably Wednesdays or Thursdays. So be sure to keep it locked. We're on Spotify. If you're listening to us, you know where to find us, but Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get it. So write us a review. Write us a review. Yeah. Tell us that Garrett Cole is better than DeGrom. I don't care. As long as challenge us. Challenge us. So Alex, I think that me and Mike Mike Jennings, also Mike, if you're listening to this, love you, buddy. I think that we always did. It's something that we kind of pulled from the Pleasant Good Evening podcast because they do it, and I really like it. And since we're Mets legends, I think it's appropriate. Let's name a guy. We're each going to think of a guy, Mets legend history. We're going to name that guy. If you want, we could get a little bit creative too. I'll give you a year, and you can pick a guy from that year, vice versa. Or if you just have a guy that's on your mind, go for it. Would you like to lead off or would you like me to lead off? I'll lead off because okay. this is this is the person who I came to mind. I feel like this isn't like your niche, like, you know, whoa, I remember that guy. But I thought I would want to bring up, um, um, oh my gosh, um, Jay. Uh, Bruce? I'm so embarrassed. Yes, Bruce. Jay Bruce? Jay Bruce. I'm so embarrassed that happened. Uh, Jay Bruce. I'm going to bring up Jay Bruce. He is a legend. He's a Mets legend. Uh, Jay Bruce, I, I, he feels topical because... I think he retired earlier this year. Was that last year? That uh, years, was years blend. That was last year. Last year when he was with the, Yankees. with the Yankees. Yep. Uh, Jay Bruce was someone who I always admired with the Reds. Those Reds teams, him and uh, Peak Joey Votto, were really Todd fun Frazier. to watch. Todd Peak Todd Frazier, two home run derby champion, twice Todd Fra- twice, twice over makes no sense. I know the Todd, the Todd <laughs> His father. swing was so ugly. It was. <laughs> he, had, he had a very big swing. I had a. I was actually at the Todd Frazier game. Another Mets legend, obviously. Oh yeah, from Tom's River, New Jersey, nonetheless. Really, Tom's yeah. River. I know. I, I just I just found out today. That's amazing. Wow. I know. He was also in the Little League World Series and met Derek Jeter. That's that's a snap fact. <laughs> um, Todd, I was at the Todd Frazier game when he hit that home run against the Nationals off Sean Doolittle. Oh my gosh, yes. And Michael Conforto walked it off. But yeah, so Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce. Uh, I always liked him. He was someone uh, – we were close to acquiring him in 2015, yep. I remember. Yep. And then uh, in 2016, that was kind of like where the rumors kept going. Uh, when we got him, I was psyched. And he had a really poor showing for us when he when he came in. He, his Mets career was weird. Because Very weird. 2016, he didn't exactly, like, get it together with the Mets. I feel like he hit, like – I'm not looking at any numbers. I feel like he hit, like, three home runs that whole, like – Yeah, it took him a while, too. Half. Like, it yeah. took him, like, a few – like – Maybe not a few weeks, but I remember like he hit his first home run as a Met against the Yankees, I think. But 2017, he came. He around. was really good. He was really good. And then they traded him to the Cleveland the the Cleveland Guardians. Yes. For Ryder Ryan. Ryder Ryan didn't he like just come back recently too? Like in the minors, I saw his name somewhere. Yeah, he he. So funny enough, I think Ryder Ryan was the player to be named later. When the Mets reacquired Todd Frazier in twenty in the short in twenty twenty, see it was like That's this weird. Insane. Anyway, Jay then Bruce. the Mets got him back though. They got Jay Bruce back. Remember they signed they him that signed offseason him to a three year deal. contract, three year thirty nine million. And then he was in the Diaz Cano and then deal. part of the salary dump for uh, oh it all works out together because actually we're losing uh, Jay Bruce's uh, contract and bringing in. Uh, Cano, Cano, who's like, who's just a professional, and Anthony Swarzak, and Swarzak. Oh, he was awful. He's another Mets legend. Another Mets legend. I, did he ever? Did we ever even see him pitch? Like two innings, maybe. Anyway, I'm not even getting into that. Bad. But uh, and then Jay Bruce, I think he 
kind of rebounded nicely for a little bit, um, kind of bounced around, but he was just like a really nice guy. I liked Bruce, man. I really did. I, I liked, he was, he was, I liked the acquisition in 16. The Mets almost traded Brandon Nimmo in that deal for him, though. Oh my gosh. Remember? And he so failed insane. his, he failed his physical. Nimmo? Yeah. Look he was you. injured. He was injured at the was time. Like his neck or something. I don't remember. He, well, he had like, he was, I think he maybe debuted earlier that year and then he was in the minors. He had some sort of like minor thing and he failed his, his, his medicals. Thank goodness. And so they swapped in Dilson Herrera last minute. That's right. That's right. Can you imagine if they gave him Nimmo though in that deal, man? No, that, 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 that'd be, that'd be one that we'd be hearing about all the time. You'd have Dilson Herrera in center field now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Jay, Jay Bruce, just like a consummate professional. Uh, there's a really great interview with him. I'm not. I mean, I'm not trying to plug other podcasts, but he's on. He's. Uh, I think he was on Starkville, which is an athletic pod. Are you cheating on me with other podcasts? Oh no, no, no! I just. I'm just making things up. <laughs> um, I never even heard of it before. <laughs> athletic. I, I, I thought it was Oakland Athletics. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was on Starkville and just kind of talks about his career. And it's one thing listening to players. It's amazing the memory that they have, where they just like. I guess like Rob's memory. He pulls out facts all the time. That I I can't believe he just where he pulls them out of. But like. Jay Bruce, like hearing him and just bringing up random at bats, like, oh yeah, this this one at bat, uh, my first at bat in the uh, in the playoffs in 2010 or whatever, when uh, when when we did this, and I remember this pitch, and I saw this one, I was really thinking this, and just like really crazy to hear, and you hear that from a lot of players, but He's Jay Bruce, machines. Jay Bruce is a good one. All right, so you give me a year, and I'll pick a legend from that. Oh, year. that's fun. All right, okay. Uh, g- give me give me one of the. All right, give me 2013. Okay, 2013. Uh, do you want me to dig in the memory bank a bit, or do you want me to just tell you the first guy that came to mind? Organic, do the first guy that comes to mind. All right, so the first guy that came to mind was Vic Black. Vic, Vic Black, I I don't remember him. <laughs> so, I mean, he was a guy that threw like 100, but I don't think he really had much secondary stuff. I think maybe a guy like Vic Black could have succeeded if a team like the Rays or the Astros or the Dodgers took a shot on him now because those those teams are the maybe, – maybe even the Yankees or maybe even this Mets team like maybe could have done more with him with more information available, baseball savant and all those things. But Vic Black was originally acquired at the – which is now defunct, the August trade deadline, like the waiver deadline. Mm-hmm. I, it wasn't the deadline, but it was an August move. The Mets traded Marlon Bird and John Buck. I actually like this trade a lot because they got both these guys that were veterans that were not part of the future. The Mets were rebuilding at this time. Right, and John Buck came over in the uh, Syndergaard Darno trade, right? He did, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was the fact that he was in there, and then he had that blazing hot month to begin mm-hmm. the season. Yeah. But I liked the trade because they got two essentially lottery ticket prospects in Dilson Herrera and Vic Black. Dilson Herrera, they later flipped for Jay Bruce, so it actually leads back into each other. Mm-hmm. But Vic Black was a guy I really liked. I thought he was going to be the truth. He was one of those like promising prospects at a time where the Mets didn't have any really exciting things going on because they were in a rebuild. But Vic Black is the guy that I, I would think about from that 2013 team. That, that's, a, that's a crazy poll. And I could probably even go deeper. If we sat down, we thought about it longer, but... You know, I I've spent so. You ever do you ever go on Sporkle? You know, you know Sporkle. The website's like a kind of like a trivia website. Like you no. Could, so there's like a 
like on Sporkle, you could type in like New York Mets or whatever, and then there's like like trivia things. Oh, I'm gonna be on that in a second. I love trivia. So there's one. It's like you have to name every Mets opening day lineup from 1990 through present. That is so much. I know, and you get like whatever X amount of time. But the thing is, it's like it's fun because you like you're like okay, you're throwing names out. Like you're gonna get all the major players. Like you know. Good, your Goodens and your Howard Johnsons and then your Piazzas and whoever Alfonso, but then it's like you're like you'll get what always like gets me stumped is guys in like 2011 or like mm-hmm. 2000 and like eight the dark years yeah like oh six like who was the Mets opening day shortstop or opening day second one of the two second baseman shortstop in 2006 opening day, well opening day short uh, second baseman was not Jose Valentin no it wasn't. Oh man, was it was it um wouldn't wouldn't be Damien easily? He I don't think he was on the team. He was time. on 07. 07. It was Anderson Hernandez. Anderson Hernandez. Yeah. I loved that guy. Me too. Yeah, that's right, Anderson Hernandez. I actually I met him and Pagan at a game in like. Pagan. I know you 09. love me. You love Pagan. Pagan is one of my favorite Mets. They gave up on him so soon. Because he had one bad year. It was ridiculous. And they got nothing back for him. They It'd got be like giving up on McNeil after last year. Yeah. Which, which would all have been of you who were calling for that are fools. Yeah, we know who you are. We don't forget. Yeah. We have the receipts. A comment. Write a comment right now. Come find us. Yeah, come confess your sins. Go meet up with the Yankee fans and we could, we could fight. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Vic Black and you and said Jay, Jay Bruce. Bruce. So those are the two legends for the first episode of the Robin Alex era. Hey. Thank you guys so much for joining in. Follow us on Twitter. My Twitter handle is RT Pearsall. Yours is Seltzer underscore Poppy. Seltzer underscore Poppy. That's right. Awesome. So yeah, give us guys, give us give us a follow. We'll be doing this once a week, usually Wednesdays or Thursdays. Maybe we'll shift it around, but we'll let you know on Twitter and everything. But really happy to have Alex join. And uh, yeah, thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>